This episode of the Noble Warrior Podcast is brought to you by C.K. Lynn Mindset Coaching for Entrepreneurs. Whatever mental blocks in your life you want to overcome as an entrepreneur, fears of failure, inability to take the actions you know there is to take, fear of success, three steps forward and four steps back, or even that thought of not feeling deserving after achieving all the success. Coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself, and it can yield some of the highest returns. C.K. Lin has the skills that will empower you to achieve the most accelerated results you've dreamed of. To help you get started, C.K. is offering podcast listeners a free strategy session with him, a $1,000 value. Visit TalkWithCK.com and schedule your free session today. Today, I'm really excited to share my next guest with you guys. I'm talking with Sylvia. Uh, I met her here at the Awaken Future Summit. She is a investor, a conscious investor. She's in charge of different family offices, really helping them manage their, their wealth. And uh, when I spoke to her, I immediately feel a kindred spirit um, who is all about facing using uh, psychedelics and different modalities as a way to face her her shadow, her lower self, in service of her higher self. And she just had a tre- tremendous story, a narrative, a hero's journey to share. So we're very privileged to have Sylvia with us. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So why don't we actually start off on um, how we drop into our conversation. Um, we started from talking about energy, how money is energy. Mm-hmm. So if you can share a little bit about your journey to that conclusion, that would be really, really helpful. So, one of the experiences that I have is that whatever is the most difficult for us in our life is also the karmic gift that we came here to share. So our our weakest place is also our strongest place. And for me, I knew at a young age that that was going to have something to do with money. But it wasn't completely conscious for me. So when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I was studying healing modalities and working as a healer and studying with different spiritual teachers and money was very much in the periphery of my consciousness as it is for many people in their early 20s because I was not fully embodied yet. I was still in the age of exploration. And I worked as a healer for many years until I was like 26 or 27. And then that's when that consciousness started to come in where I said, well, this is this is great, I really love this work, but I'm never going to be able to make any money doing it. And in particular, how that looked to me is I would never be able to buy a house. I would never, like, how would I support children? How would I get a minivan for the children? So all these kinds of questions started to come into the periphery of my consciousness, but I still didn't really want to face them. And I wanted to kind of continue on my spiritual path and ignore those questions. So when I was 27, I went to India for an extended period of time uh, to the ashram of Ramana Maharshi at this mountain called Arunachala. And Arunachala is this really profound pilgrimage site. It's a Shiva mountain. And the pilgrimage is that people walk around the base of the mountain every day. It's a three and a half hour walk. So I went there as a pilgrim. 
and every morning I was waking up and walking around the mountain and praying for liberation and praying for awakening and all of my intention was just liberation and awakening and liberation and awakening and then one day I'm walking around the mountain and I swear the mountain I feel the mountain is speaking to me and the mountain's like like fuck you want liberation what you really want are kids mm. what you really want is a husband mm. and I was like no, 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 no. I want to wake up. I only want awakening. I only want awakening. I only want so you had awakening. a refusal of the call? A complete refusal, mm-hmm. but it was pushing, like, really pushing more and more and more into my consciousness. And on that particular trip, I met, like, this beautiful old man in a room with, like, four or five people and had a profound awakening in his presence by far the most profound if you say like awakening experience because all awakening experiences are momentary and they don't last but this one in particular was a very like super powerful awakening of the divine feminine inside of myself and I really felt like I became the divine feminine I became like this incredible goddess and and it lasted for about a week there was really very little consciousness of Sylvia of who she was and I was completely in this divine self towards the end of that week is when again that message came and it was even clearer and the message was like okay you can't stay here like you, you can't stay in india you can't renounce your life in america you're you're not you don't have permission to do that because you have karma to fulfill and specifically you have a karma to go and learn how to work with money and you have a karma to go and have children so I, I moved back to the States and through... Before you go there, was there an inner tension, torment? Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. To share with us a little bit about that. How are you able to surrender to this higher purpose that was given to you, that was told in their inner knowing? It was... I think that, that we... It's a good question. I think we, we actually, we often have inner knowing that we decide that we're going to ignore, but there's just a certain point where it becomes too uncomfortable to ignore it. Mm. And that was my experience. It was physically uncomfortable. I actually got quite sick. Mm. Um, I, I got profoundly sick. It's the only time I've ever been sick in India. Mm. I was in bed for days. Um, I was really, really sick. And during that illness it just was it was kind of unmistakable it was kind of like we're going to cripple you until you listen <laughs> like, okay I get it so, so in the beginning it was a feather and then it became a gentle knocking gentle nudge yeah and then you didn't want to wait until the sledgehammer come down yeah but I'm generally the kind of person who waits for the sledgehammer <laughs> like, I just like to play hard like that with I the got divine you. Yeah. so I wait for the sledgehammer you, you, you dare the divine to tell you yeah. stronger signals <laughs> so, I, I came back to the States and really then that's when you really see that there is a way that the divine takes charge and I could never really completely explain how all of it happened but six months after coming back from India I was working as a financial advisor for a bank mm. which how, how did that happen? You didn't just like hey here's a job offer as a financial advisor There was some program that hired people that had an entrepreneurial background and during those years that I was a spiritual Seeker, I had helped to found a school of healing arts in South America. And I had sold the school before I was in India. So I did have actually 
you know, some entrepreneurial background. Oh, okay. So you weren't just a, not quote unquote just, right? A healer that's doing the mission, but yeah. you actually built stuff. I built things too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. I did. Oh. I did. So this bank looked at me as a female entrepreneur. Mm. But I remember the first day on the job, I had, I had no experience of putting a suit on. I had no experience of wearing heels. I didn't exactly know the difference between a stock and a bond. It was all brand new. It was incredibly uncomfortable. I felt like an alien. Mm. But I knew it was where I was supposed to be. So I just stayed with it. Mm. So how did you come up with the mental model then? And this may be a little projecting, but if I recall correctly from our conversation, how money is energy, right? all that. So if you can elucidate a, a little bit about the new mental model, how did you come to that mental model? Well, I think that that these kinds of deep knowings, again, they they, they develop through difficult, painful experiences. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice if I could say, you know, I read a book or mm -hmm. I heard it from a teacher or I saw it in a vision, but I, I didn't. I, I learned that the very, very, very hard way. So I began to work with money, but mm -hmm. I still hadn't really fully met the belief mm -hmm. yet that mm -hmm. I could, that I am the source of abundance. Mm -hmm. I really did not understand yet that the divine is the source of abundance. I did not yet understand what it means to be in the flow of that energy of money. Mm -hmm. I still believed that money had to come from outside mm -hmm. and particularly that money had to come from a masculine paradigm. Mm -hmm. So it had to come from a company you know, a patriarchal kind of like top-heavy company, or it had to come from a man. Mm. So here I am working for a bank and getting a salary, and in a business meeting, I meet a man who was, you know, kind and wonderful, and also happened to be quite financially powerful. Mm. And I married him. Mm. So one of the things that I really like to share and uh, I'd love to speak about is that awakening is not this direct path of realization point it's, A, point B, straight path it's not, mm -hmm. it's messy and it's circular and, and so for me to figure out that I really am the source of abundance that was a big detour, I was like maybe I can do this but let me just do the safe bet Just let me just marry someone who's already got money mm. and fall into that kind of umbrella of protection. Mm. So I, I didn't at that time know that money is energy. It would have been, I could have maybe have said it to you in some kind of abstract way, but I would have been pretending. I didn't know it in my bones or in the cells of my body at all. It was all. theoretical. It was theoretical. Yeah. It was, it was like um, spiritual ego. Mm. You know, like we can be conscious with money, but I wasn't conscious with money. I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid. I thought that money had to come from, you know, doing certain kinds of things that got you money. Mm. And, and so, but again, it's like, are there mistakes or was it just like the way that the path was unfolding? So, I married someone who was rich, but it, I still was working in the, in the world of money and still learning about how to work with money. And I was doing the hard work, you know, like I went from not knowing the difference between a stock and a bond to becoming a CFA charter holder, which is like a super difficult thing to do. There's not a lot of women who have even ever done it. For me, that was a phenomenally difficult task. Mm -hmm. So I had to really like grind through the work of understanding the how does the world work with money? How does money get invested? Um, 
what is the language of money? And the I, mechanics and the mechanics language. Mechanics and the language, and, mm. and I and I had to also earn my respect in the traditional paradigm. So to have those three letters after my name, CFA, reduced most questioning that people would ever have ever again. That do I know what I'm talking about with money? Mm. Like it was like ah. This is like the stamp of approval. You understand money within that traditional paradigm. You mm. understand money. Mm-hmm. So I had to work for that. And I did that inside of that marriage. And then I also lived a life of incredible material comfort inside the protection of a marriage to a man who is extremely successful in the corporate world. Mm. So you have to fast forward many years beyond that point to where the awakening that I had in India was able to actually truly connect to the energy of money. Mm. Well, not everyone has a rich husband <laughs> or not everyone wants to go through the path of earning a CFA. Yeah. Not everyone works in a bank. But I do know a lot of people want to liberate themselves. Yes. Right, to develop that wealth consciousness really tap into the embodiments from, from theory to experience to embodiment of yes. I am source yes. I am the creator yes. right allows this energy a la money flowing through me in service of the greater good because it's not about accumulation right? so barring marrying someone getting into a bank CFA right what walk us through a little bit of a tactical thing sure What's, well, how can they we develop that. I think that the most important thing, and I can share more about what happened inside that marriage and, sure. and the lessons that that brought for me, those were my lessons, but sure. it's about facing the most difficult fear you have around money. Because mm. a lot of people, I would say, maybe even most people, have some pretty deep beliefs around money. Mm. And they tend to be quite unconscious. And if you notice, but one of the things that is difficult for people to talk about openly is money. Mm-hmm. And there can be quite a lot of shame in talking about money. Mm-hmm. People are ashamed of their money stories or people um, are, you know, they hide their money stories. Mm-hmm. The only person who generally is not hiding their money story is the person who's the richest person in the room. Right. And that person wants their money story to be on a billboard because <laughs> they're achieving all their self-worth and all their recognition in society from being generally one of the richest people in a room. So we are in a culture that gives a tremendous amount of importance and value to the richest person in the room. So everybody else kind of is living in the shadow around money with a lot of shame. Mm. And what I notice, particularly with, with women that I know, you know, if you talk about tactical things, one of the things I did at a very young age is I started to look at women's lives 10 years and 20 years ahead of mine. Mm. And I really looked at them ruthlessly. And so what were the decisions that they had made in their life and where did they end up financially? Mm. And a lot of women in their 40s, 50s, and even 60s are incredibly financially disempowered mm. because they were hiding from these critical, difficult, important questions. Mm-hmm. And because they didn't confront them and they were hiding from them in various ways for many years, they end up in precarious situations financially where they really do not feel the support underneath them that, that they would merit normally at that stage of life. Mm. So I... I made mistakes. I made lots of mistakes. I was terrified of money. Mm. And the, so the story of that marriage is not a happy one because, again, there were beautiful parts of that marriage. There were beautiful children and there were things that were righteous about it. But there was a shadow. And the shadow was that 
I didn't want to empower myself with money fully, so I grabbed onto the coattails of a man who was empowered with money. And when we met, he said, you will never have to worry about anything ever again. Mm. I will always take care of you. Mm. Which is like injecting heroin directly into the vein. Mm. It's an incredibly powerful, demotivating. Demotivating. <laughs> right, like why would I need to be empowered financially mm. if somebody else is going to take care of me forever and ever and ever. Now, the dark side of that story is that days before the wedding, which was, you know, again, a fancy wedding at a big hotel in San Diego, and I had a beautiful dress from Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, the whole thing, the, the whole entire princess wedding was happening mm. for me, and I got a prenup handed to me. Mm. And, you know, at, at the time, I was... Were I was, you surprised? Well, no. I, I think a prenup can be appropriate yeah. um, in many situations, sure. if not most. It's yeah. a beautiful, it can be a beautiful agreement. And I was working and I did have some, I was beginning to have some capacity to make money and some money saved. But to me, a prenup was a document that should protect um, the assets of the person before marriage, should be kind of unquestionably protected because you as a couple, you didn't do anything to create that wealth together. Right, pre-existing. Pre-existing really is pre-existing. It's like mm -hmm. a line in the sand. I mean, it's just something that's apart and separate. And maybe you could say like two years into a marriage, there really hasn't been enough of a partnership to build something. But if you look 10 years into a marriage, it becomes impossible. The contribution of a couple that's married, that have children, how do you, how, how would you not have something shared? Like there should be something shared after some period of time. Gotcha. Because you you really are Right, right. Co-creating together. You are co-creating everything right, together. Right. And there's such a exchange of energy how would you how would you ever define that so the prenup I was given was everything pre-existing is separate fine me I signed that happily but everything in all eternity will always be separate mm. so that means that even if we're married for 20 years you can never lay claim on one penny that I create or generate in the marriage mm. which to me felt like it broke my heart in some way because I said well you know, again, if we have children and I don't work for a period of time, like that doesn't, how does that work? Like that doesn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. And I was the second wife. Mm -hmm. So he had already been through it once before. And, and, and the guidance that he gave me was like, look, you sign this or we just won't get married. Mm -hmm. We can still do the wedding because it's all planned now. Everyone's coming, but we won't actually legally get married, mm -hmm. which again, broke my heart. So I called one of my friends who was a, a lawyer, but she was just one of my friends from college, and she didn't practice this particular kind of law. And she said, look, maybe he's testing you to see if you're really in this marriage for the right reasons. Like, you as the feminine, is your heart and your intention pure? So maybe if you sign it and you prove to him your intention is pure, maybe then, like, things will change in the marriage. Okay, so I signed it. And then I forgot about it, and it got put in a drawer. And I really didn't think about it in the beginning years of that marriage. As the marriage went on, so like talking about 10 years married now, mm. then I began to bring it up because I had contributed so much to the financial well-being of, in many, many, many ways, from many ways, from concrete ways to non-concrete ways, we had really created so much together. And it was at that point that I said, I think we need to make changes in that document. And 
It was when I brought up the prenup and asked for it to be changed. That is when my husband asked me for a divorce. Mm. So, so there's, but there's, because there's really, there, there are karmic costs to everything that we do. There, our mistakes are innocent. So I was innocent coming into that marriage, but I had blind spots that were sourced from unaddressed fears. Mm. And those blind spots that were unaddressed fears had to manifest themselves into what then became a very, very difficult divorce proceeding, mm. which was centered only around the money, not around the children at all. Mm. So the entire difficulty of that divorce became money. Wow. So that was really, then you really want to talk about when I really began to learn the lessons is during that divorce. Wow. There's Thanks no shortcut. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Wow, that's a very incredibly personal and also difficult moments in your life. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so knowing what you know now, actually, let's yeah. get a little technical, if you sure. don't mind, before you jump into the lessons. Sure, sure. Knowing what you know now, what would be an artful way to actually set up a prenuptial agreement? Uh, just from a, well, I think a prenup is an energetic agreement uh -huh. between two people, sure. and it requires the people to really face their fears mm. and make sure that the agreement is sourced from love. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that would look like for anyone else, but mm -hmm. you have to have enough presence to actually do the work of clearing your fear mm. and then finding the right document. So mm. that document was sourced in his fear from his first marriage. Sure. So he needed to clean that fear before he could really have presented a document that would have been loving. One of my really, really good friends who's like head of M&A at you know, an incredibly prominent bank looked at the document and he said this is what you would write for a concubine oh wow when I was going through the divorce so it wasn't it's not wow. a healthy document mm. but again this is two people that were not awake creating a, an agreement an energetic agreement a sacred contract that was not awake mm. so he was asleep in his way I was asleep in my way this contract is therefore imprinted with the signature mm. of sleepiness mm to create a prenup that is awake could be a really, really beautiful thing. It could be creative. Mm. It could be incredibly... Um, Have you seen? Have you come across examples of such a creative, no, beautiful prenup? No, I haven't. But this part of the reason why I speak about it publicly is mm. because, again, I think these are the things that live in the shadows of our society. Mm. I recently negotiate, helped to negotiate a prenup for a family that I work with. Mm. Um, so I was at the table with the daughter when it was being negotiated. And... and um, and I can say that, that there were a lot of limitations that that family had in creating that prenup. There were a lot of fears that came up for them in the creation of that prenup. So I don't know how that's going to carry out in, those, mm. in their lives. Mm. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like for them. But I could, I could mark with my finger the places where the fear was. One of the things that say in the, I believe it was Nicole Braffer of TransTech, one of the founders, she said, we make what we are. Yes. So the documents, the products, the services, whatever, we leave imprints based yes. on our consciousness level. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, so then if you look at the divorce as being a form of medicine to that, mm -hmm. so it, it took five months, it wasn't terrible, but it was painful. Mm -hmm. And it was painful exactly in the right way for me. Mm. It was exactly the right medicine for my heart. It was exactly the right... Um, like tincture from God to say okay like my dear beloved daughter like you're so devoted to truth and you're so devoted to God 
in all of these ways except for money. Like, so what I had been doing for years is saying, here's all my devotion to truth. Here's all my awakening. It lives over here in this, like, in the, over here in this reach of my consciousness. But in the real world, which is money, you know, and power, God doesn't touch that place. Here's where I just keep it real. Let me just be practical. Let me be grounded. There's really no such thing. Mm. That is a false construct. Mm. But again, when you say, like, how do you figure out that money is energy? There's no shortcut. You have to face the very deep underground fears that you have in your subconscious one by one by one. You have to do a methodical inventory, which sometimes we're not capable of just sitting in a chair and doing the inventory. Sometimes we have to do the inventory by, by fucking up in life. Mm. And then it gets triggered in us and we have to see it. But you know, I had to do an inventory of my fears methodically, consistently, from the day that prenup got handed to me until the day I signed that divorce. That was the time of my inner work of meeting those fears mm. and then coming out of the divorce was really then when I started to really begin to be able to flower with with a different kind of realization you say in such a beautiful way that just the way you're being about it is very neutral even empowering the way you share your story but during that time I can't speak for you I speak for just general human beings even for myself there's a, a stage of what was me right this yeah. how could you do this to me oh, yeah, right yeah, for sure. and versus by me now i actually am accountable for all of this yes and then it's through me and then it's, it's as me right there's that different stages of spiritual growth so yeah. i was curious doing that process of going through that divorce did you go through that those stages or were you immediately no. Um, no. No. jump to stage three no. um, like, like, oh, if, as if anyone me. shows up here ever saying that they do <laughs> <laughs> they should be discredited no awakening is messy it's gritty yeah it's supposed to be gritty yeah so no when the divorce first started i was just a mess yeah i had a, a circle of girlfriends around me they called me they called themselves boots on the ground uh-huh. and they were on speed dial it could be two o'clock in the morning and those women would pick up. Yeah. I didn't even know which way was up or which way was down, right or left. I had no idea because if that prenup was enforced, I was going to really end up in a bad financial situation with yeah. two children. Now there's child support, but child support is, is very little amount of money. Sure. So it's not going to pay your bills. Yeah. So there's no alimony. Yeah. Like it was just... So I had to go through a period of of like really deeply advocating for myself and mm-hmm. I had a whole team of lawyers and it was super difficult even that I had one lawyer who was amazing I had another lawyer who fell in love with me and thought I was his soulmate and it was a mess and I was like dude like just represent me it was right, a right. mess but I I got through it I got through it and 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 in the end we settled and we settled exactly in the right place exactly in the right medicine for us financially exactly perfectly so that i left that marriage feeling perfectly in balance perfectly in balance so but that took time you know it took it took quite a bit of negotiation and self-advocacy That, that in itself is a journey, right? Self-advocacy. It was a total journey. I mean, I was I was raised to be a very nice girl. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's an Iranian Jew. He's, he's a beautiful man. But, you know, I was trained to be nice, to mm-hmm. be sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the feminine is 
completely rewarded for being compliant, being sweet, and being nice. And I was, in, in all honesty, a very sweet and nice wife. So for me to go from that sweet, nice wife to, okay, like I'm going to really, truly like not back down, and I'm going to be difficult, and I'm going to be difficult, and I'm going to be difficult, um, was, again, it's, it's all perfect medicine. And uh, I, I came out of that process like like a warrior really right like a so warrior. so tactically right people are listening yeah. to this they're going through some difficult times sure. maybe not with divorce maybe sure. not with money but difficult times nonetheless the trial of life yes right? tactically how did you source your warrior spirit to start to do the self-advocating yes for yourself and your children yes right so. there's really only one secret to me which is mm-hmm. to face what you do not want to face so that was a mantra that you just keep it's a practice Mm -hmm. it's a it's again it's a visceral gritty practice like to to turn towards the thing that you don't want to turn towards all the time every moment like you were if we just speak about the awakening process in general you know I had profound awakenings in my life that that does not mean that you don't have to still do the gritty work of embodiment like we we can all have these peak experiences of knowing that we're God. And then we say, well, why do I come back then? Why do I go? Like people say, well, I'm going down. I went down. I knew I was God and then I went down. No, 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 no. Like I am, at this stage of my life, I am conscious that I am always awake at this stage. Like I don't feel like I'm going up and down out of God in and out of God. I'm like, I am God. I know that. It does not mean that I don't have to still every single day face what I don't want to face. Face the shadow. Face the fear. Face the dark side. So it's like, it's a practice and you know when I gave birth to my first son so I had a very beautiful birth experience and many people asked me like well like what what did you do like what's the secret did you do a breath work did you have essential oils did you yeah. have dolphin music no <laughs> dolphin music <laughs> in the moment, very specific <laughs> <laughs> well it's because I, I did have dolphin music packed in my bag at the oh, hospital okay, okay. that never came out of the bag okay, okay. dolphin music is irrelevant for birth you know what was relevant was in the moment that it got so uncomfortable something in me knew ah turn towards the pain not away from the pain mm. if you turn towards it you're going to open the portal if you turn away from it you're going to be here for a long time and it's going to hurt mm. for a long time mm. trying to escape it rather than transcend it and just face it and transcend it yeah and that's a muscle that's a spiritual muscle mm. it's like going to the gym so mm. what are the tactical things of, of that muscle mm. is setting your intention mm. so intention setting saying you know I am willing to see what needs to be seen. I am willing to experience whatever I need to experience. I'm willing for whatever conditions need to be present for my awakening. I'm ready for those conditions to be here now. Set your intention. My intention is to wake up no matter how painful it is. My intention is, my intention is to take this pain and use it and transform it as the medicine that it is. So you have to set the intention to stay and process and digest whatever is present. So the intention setting is one. The second is to hold your learnings as innocent, um, to be self-forgiving. To hold your learnings as innocent. Innocent. Like, what does that mean? So when I, like, was it a mistake that I got married to a guy mm. in large part because he was rich? <laughs> we could say that, right? We could say that. We could say that. Like, mm-hmm. that could be kind of a brutal assessment of it. Mm-hmm. And I could hold a lot of guilt around that. Mm-hmm. But then how can I learn if I'm holding guilt? Mm. 
I'm going to hold it in shame, and then maybe I'll even tweak the story, or I'll change it, or I'll say, mm. oh, but there were other reasons. Oh, but he was so nice. Oh, but he was this. Oh, but he was that. You can't learn. So you hit a learning disability, like a glass ceiling. Right. Because you have to know that deep down inside, we are innocent. We are learning. We came here to learn. And God is benevolent. Like, mm. the... Like it was profoundly and beautifully innocent to to walk into what I was walking into because it was the exact right karmic medicine for me in my life to learn and to be as in service to God. Mm. So you have to hold these mistakes as innocence. So one, turning towards the pain as a muscle. Two, it's innocent. No matter how bad the mistake you made is, no matter how big the shame is, it's innocent. Mm. And then three is to really surround yourself with conscious friends or conscious guides mm. because too many people will actually counsel you to turn away from the pain or right. to distract yourself from right, the pain right, right. or, or to blame point of finger victimhood because it's easy yeah it's like this guy's a jerk or yeah, yeah. Or women love victimhood yeah. so like if if i had been surrounded by girlfriends who were like he's such a jerk right. how could he do that to you and right. i would be like oh yeah poor me poor me right poor me look what he's doing to me right then guess what you're gonna be miserable in victimhood till you die right and then you just got to incarnate to learn the lesson so why not just get rid of the victim paradigm and surround yourself by people who say you're innocent i love you let's be self-accountable mm. like look it in the face so so you mentioned the word conscious friends what are some of the criteria for conscious friends i think that because you, you probably know thousands and thousands of people i do and I those have, conscious yes. friends probably a hand i mean they're very very few right very, so very how do you few. how do you select those conscious friends they're very very few what are the criteria um, you use to evaluate your conscious friends I have, yeah, like you said, I have a lot of friends. I'm a very social person, yeah. and I have a, a large network. Conscious friends, extremely few, and I treat them like treasures. I mean, mm-hmm. they're like, they're like golden Buddha statues. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how I treat them. Yeah. So, I think that that when we have an intention to live an awakened life, they come. You know, they're the magical helpers on the path. Mm. And, and, and you know the divine sends us those how do you know out of the thousands that you meet every day right or I think for me the, the way that I know is somebody that when I'm speaking to them I can't bullshit that's a really good sign mm. of a true friend mm. like that person has enough emotional resonance and depth in them that when you come to them like let's say I was dating right now okay you know, which I'm not, but let's say I was. Let's and say, I, right. I went to my friend and I said, oh my God, I met this guy. He's amazing. You know, he's, I don't I, I met him, I met him on Richard Branson's, uh, I was in Necker Island and I met him and it was amazing. He's got this yacht and he's so cool. And guess what? He's really interested in spirituality. Uh-huh. He really wants to be on the path. Yeah. Okay. So like a conscious friend's going to be like, like who are you lying to right now like oh okay you you want to do the same thing you already did again Uh like a a conscious friend has enough discernment so maybe even when I show up in front of that conscious friend I wouldn't be able to lie Mm. like I couldn't lie to myself because their emotional bandwidth and resonance makes me more truthful with myself Mm. they're like tuning forks and you can feel it like who are those people that you can be authentic with and be yourself around and if you don't have those people in your life then you need to keep looking. Mm. 
You need to, they're out there. You need to find them. Just like they're true teachers, they're true friends. Mm. One of the realizations that I got from um, ceremony is that I have thousands and thousands of acquaintances, you know, hundreds of Facebook friends or whatever. <clears throat> but really just a handful of those friends that who I can trust. And how I know that is by if I were gone, who would I entrust my children, my family with? Okay, so I have a handful of people who can actually yeah. take that on. Not to say that I will quote unquote burden them with them, but at least that's the mental model and the quick mental math that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Am yeah. I willing to entrust them to yeah. these, these people? That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So thanks for sharing your story. No, of I really course. appreciate that. So going back to um there's a lot here. Were you always spiritual? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like that gives you a deeper trust in your life trajectory? Yes. Versus Definitely. before spirituality where you were just on your own and then what you do is your own volition and that's that. You know, my early awakenings are when I was still a teenager, so it's difficult for me to ever remember. Even when I was a child, I feel like I was kind of drawn to the divine. So I don't have a, I don't have a self that existed outside of spirituality. I was really a teenager when it really came into full focus in my life. But it was funny because when it really fully came into focus, when I had like a, like a profound awakening as a teenager, mm. I was kind of pissed off about it in the beginning. Mm. How so? Because I was like, well, I don't want to have a spiritual life. Like, I don't want to have a spiritual <laughs> life. <laughs> like, but the spiritual life to me looked like unhappy middle-aged women who were doing Reiki. I was like, I don't oh, want any part of that. Like, yeah. I don't, it's, it's inconvenient. And, uh -huh. I, and there was actually a grieving for me because there was some part of me that, that really yearned for distraction. I mm. wanted to be able to just in, like, be distracted. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was not like, it wasn't like a joyful thing for me. Like, oh great, like, kids have a get to have a life of awakening because awakening really asks everything of us it doesn't ask everything on day one because nobody would ever sign up for it <laughs> if it did <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more why do you say that you know like awakening is is not for sissies like it's, it's uh -huh, I love that it's a quotable quote <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true yeah so in the beginning, it's kind of like, oh, this is like kind of feels good and it's nice, and I feel some relief here. This uh -huh. is kind of nice, but the truth is, is that as you go more and more and more down the path, it really does ask for everything to be given to its feet. Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, what you're putting at the feet of awakening is not of value, but it takes a while for you to figure out that it's not of value, and so. Let's go back to money for a second. It's not a value. It's not a value. I'm not so understand. We'll so talk about again. money as a way of because because for so long I wanted to hold on to money as separate from God. Mm. Like I better keep making some money over here. Like money, survival, money, uh, survival <laughs> money. It's over here. Like, like I'm definitely not. And and the only way I could conceptualize of that is yeah. like I'd be like. People that look like they're trying to have a spiritual life around money, 
just look like dumb fucks to me. Like mm. they were, they looked like they were lost, or like they weren't working, or mm. they were like poor, or like they just looked messy, and I, mm. I just couldn't conceive of what, what it would look like to surrender money to the feet of God. Mm. Honestly, it's really only very, very recently that I've even begun to understand what that looks like. That there's, there's this just your, your devotion to truth becomes so profound in your heart that it begins to take everything else that you had as a false god. Hmm. And money was the last false god for me to offer. Hmm. And even now I'm still in the process of giving some of those pieces of the false god over. Hmm. But when you talk about money being an energy of the divine, the, the truth of the matter is that as I give over that false god of the kind of money I thought I need to make and create and protect, as I give that over more and more, which it's not like I give it over, it's just like that my devotion of God is just deepening and deepening and deepening. It consumes the false god, it burns it, and in mm. its place, there really is, this is, this is a universe is magically abundant, magically abundant. It's dying to support us it wants to support us it wants our gifts there's so much for all to share mm -hmm. and one of the things that I really struggled with was you know why are there so many poor people like like because if I'm living in Africa and I'm on a dollar a day I can't have a deep spiritual realization and become a millionaire so like how does that work like what's mm -hmm. going on there right and Marianne Williamson actually speaks about this, and she's the one who kind of drew some light on it for me. And she says that the the fact that there's poverty is something we can solve. Like we are capable of solving poverty, but that is the global shadow of not knowing that money is God. So there's the personal shadow of not knowing that money is God, and then there's the global shadow of not knowing that money is God. And that global shadow creates these tremendous pockets of mass suffering. Mm. So we can wake up to our own path with money, but really it needs to be in service of waking up the path of money for everybody. Because if everybody were to wake up the path around money, we will solve the, the issues of this huge inequality of wealth in the world. Not completely, not that everyone can be a millionaire, but things can come into a deeper equilibrium. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It's, it's Marianne's concept, not mine. Yeah. So for someone who is on that path of awakening their, let's actually focus on money since that's sure. what we're talking about, right? <clears throat> um, where do I even begin? <laughs> <laughs> So on the path to, to know oneself to be the creator of abundance, and then abundance is really available, where it's not something to be created, it's already existent. You're mm. creating, you're tapping into something that's, that's, uh, that's already there, right? How do you actually tactically do that? By meeting your money fear. Mm. There's no shortcut. There's just literally no, no shortcut. So what does it mean to meet your money fear? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knows where their money fears. How do you feel when you open up your bank statement? Mm. Do you pay attention to your investments or do you ignore them? Do mm. you like your work? Mm. Are you in love with your job? If you're not, why don't you leave it? Mm. Are you in a marriage because you're afraid of what would happen financially because you leave? Everybody knows where their money fear is. Mm. It has to be confronted. Mm. You have to do the work. Mm. 
I feel like almost there could be a seminar transformation weekend <laughs> to be done in, in this particular area because uh, as you said especially in America this is um, definitely in the shadow right it's the you shadow can, you can ask about everything except What's in your bank account? Exactly. How dare you? Exactly. Like, <laughs> gonna, you can ask me about my sex life. You can ask everything, yeah. political belief, you know, everything in your biases. About <laughs> <laughs> my money, how dare you? Right. <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah. Am I rich? Am I not rich? Right. You know, um, so, so opening that conversation around money is very important. And um, as you know, I work with people that have tremendous resources financially mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I I have to say that I know a lot about the technical aspect of how to manage huge amounts of wealth so sure. like I know how to man if somebody puts 300 which they do people put 300 million in my hands say right. manage it yeah. I do it yeah. I know how to do it right. but the truth is is that the really important piece that's missing for most people that are holding that kind of wealth is the consciousness piece because nobody talks to them about it and they are universally admired and unquestioned because they're so rich mm. so their shadow begins to be hidden in tremendous recesses and in some of the deeper conversations I've had with families of, of truly astronomical wealth you would be surprised how many of those people actually wish they didn't have it because mm. they don't know how to connect to the purpose of it and, and it's become burdensome for them because they really this and it sounds like a cliche they really don't know if people like them or not oh right because they don't like them they, they may people like them for their money or for themselves right mm. So it's that that like you know in my in my kind of ultimate fantasy of something that should be happening on this planet, people with tremendous resources should be coming together in ceremonial kinds of work with plant medicine mm. to to because there's nothing that humbles you the way that no. medicine does. And it, and it's also not external. <laughs> right, and it's not external. It's not someone telling you something yeah. because. When it's someone like a guru, or a teacher, or an advisor, or a coach, or a friend, even telling you something, how dare you? Right? It's ego against ego. It's easily triggered, easily go into that direction. But when you do plant medicine, it's from the inner knowing. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, that's right. You do an inventory of all of your beliefs, yes. all of your journey all of your events things you're proud of things you're ashamed of things you're disappointed by things you're angered by everything everything yeah and it and it will specifically clean and direct energy of money mm. because the because the, the plant medicine will look at the money as just pure energy mm. the, the medicine knows that it's just energy mm. it, so it will look at the money through the framework of mm. that so in my work life i have i take quite a bit of personal direction. Again, I'm not taking the kind of personal direction of like, you should be shorting the VIX right now or Facebook's going down. It's not that. I mm. mean, the divine's definitely not giving me instructions on how to trade a stock. Mm. But the divine is, you know, through the plant medicine, is saying to me, you need to come into a deeper integrity with your energy around this particular relationship mm. or around that particular, like, that particular cluster of money you need to have more you know person like you need to clear your personal integrity with it before you can make decisions with it i recently met a family who came 
who's just sold a company for an, a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, just ungodly amount of money. And uh, they they met with me, and I think they were they were kind of expecting me to like put a pitch book in front of them, and like sell sell them like right. sell like. Here's should, my return. You and should work yeah. with me because yeah, da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And I'm Here's like, no, 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 I don't have a pitch book. Like, I really just wanted to meet with you and see, you know, how you are. Like, what's happening for you? And like, what's like, mm. how are you feeling about this? And that's really, it's um, really uncomfortable for people. Mm. But it's the right thing to do. Like, if you're given a tremendous gift financially on this earth, it's my best advice is don't do anything. Do a lot of inner work. Mm. and then see and mm. take your time with it mm. but that's at the far end of the spectrum of people with too much and you know a lot of people are just like no no I'm still working at the other end of the spectrum where I haven't gotten what I want yet and so okay so let's let's go there for a little bit and then but before that I want to share a quote with you I can't remember who said this I think it was I think it was Warren Buffett or uh, Ree Hoffman anyway they said no it was Kevin Kelly it says money is all like gasoline it's very important to get you from point A to point B, but you don't want to spend your entire life going for a gasoline station to gasoline station. It's <laughs> a good quote. All right? Yeah. Uh, so, so these people have a lot of gasoline, you know, a lot of energy yeah. that they can utilize to manifest whatever it is they want to manifest in life. Um, how do they, what do they do with it? I think that in itself is a journey in a, um, I'm very, um, they should be thankful from my point of view that they have someone like you to ask them some critical questions mm-hmm. you know, what do you actually want to do with all this gasoline that you have <laughs> other than getting more gasoline right? yes but it's very hard for them to discern a voice like that because they're so used to everyone who sits in front of them wanting something from them mm. so, so that's what i'm saying there, there there are pitfalls you know for there's pitfalls around these questions because again you end up with a lot of money almost 99.9% of the people that are in front of you want something from you. Mm. So I, I can show up in front of them and they may not even be able to see me because I just look like another flavor of someone who's selling something different to them. Mm. And they're protecting themselves against everything because they don't know what to trust. So Elon Musk said something interesting. <clears throat> and I'm paraphrasing. He basically said... Solving problems are easier. Actually, 90% of the challenge is identifying, asking the right question, right? And you had mentioned that facing the pain or the, um, the trial and tribulation or what was that the, the exact phrase you said earlier? Facing the hurt of your money or? Well, Maybe facing, facing the, the, well, whatever, the, fear, the thing you're the most fear. afraid of. Yeah, yeah exactly. Facing the, the, whatever you're most afraid of, specifically around money. But that's hard to identify because you may feel something viscerally, you just don't feel good. And the easiest thing to avoid that is, oh, let me turn on TV, yeah. check Facebook, have a little ice cream, chocolate. Then I, then I don't need that to look at my bank account. <laughs> exactly. Right? I don't need to look at my budget. Right. right? <clears throat> I, I, I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah, <laughs> so, so. yeah. Or, so res- then, or rescue fantasy. You know, there's a lot of people who rescue fantasy. Like, it'll just take care of itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but then how do you specifically identify <clears throat> that core sure. fear, the shadow, and but, bring light and attention to that? Well, I think that's that's a lot of what this 
meeting that we're both attending has been about is mm. where do you find the tools? So mm. there are tools of presence and, and you, know, you can say meditation, but you have to be careful because meditation for some people can mean floating above the problems, but mm. to really, if you have a meditation technique that is more about doing an inventory quietly of what's really happening inside mm. and naming it. Mm. So just that you have to develop some quality of presence Mm. And you have to want that. So that's the first step. It's like, do I want to have an awakened conscious life? Yes. Mm. Then I need to begin to develop presence. And developing presence is a lifelong work. Mm. So you can develop the inner presence to really sit and say, you know, for example, typical feminine fear around money is I'm going to grow old alone mm -hmm. and poor. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the, the most terrifying image for the you know, white American woman in her mid-30s who's maybe facing divorce is she's going to end up being Mary with the shopping bags on the corner begging for sandwiches. Mm. You know, people don't want to admit it. These are the images that they have. Sure. That is the fear. I will be old and alone and poor. Mm. So you have to really face fear of abandonment, fear of not being loved, fear of being alone. But mm. these, are, these are fears that have spiritual power and spiritual transformation in them. All of those fears can be resolved through awakening. Mm. Because we are never alone. We are never, we're never abandoned. Mm. But you have to use your presence and your inquiry and your, your attention to really see that for yourself. Mm. Because nobody else can tell you that. Mm. So it can happen that way. Or you can just do some plant medicine and that's just more <laughs> confrontational. <laughs> I'm just gonna like give it to you. It's okay, so all right, so yeah, I see that you got excited for a moment. <laughs> Any uh, so how how would one know when um, that they're ready for plant medicine or not? From your point of so view, so if somebody who's never had any experience with plant yeah, medicine, let's say like they just, you know they, they want to confront their fear, transcend sure. their fear in service, and then really develop this capacity to generate. Wealth consciousness. Yes. Let's say right, and plant I, medicine is one path. And how would you? I, so how do they know they're ready? If if I was saying okay, I've never tried anything, and I feel like I'm curious, the the first thing is to know: Are you a suitable candidate for plant medicine or not? Mm -hmm. And that's just an important part of the discourse right now. So anybody with pre-existing mental conditions of their family history, anything that anyone who has schizophrenia in the family, things like that, those kinds of that kind of discernment is needed to know that you are the kind of person who's going to respond well from the psychological standpoint to medicine. And I think that's important to say because I've, I've actually seen people jump in and not have a great experience because they didn't do the proper sort of intake of their own family history first. Mm. But saying somebody says, you know what, I'm, I'm a pretty solid dude and I think I, I'm ready, mm. then the truth is, is I really think you're never ready. Mm. Um, just like I wasn't ready for birth. I read lots of books on it. Nothing prepared me for what it actually was. Mm. I don't think anything will prepare you. A, a proper plant medicine journey, nothing can really prepare you for it. And you will be surprised by the depth and by the intensity and by the, um, the, the complexity of the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's okay because the truth is, is no matter what happens inside that journey, it's safe. Mm -hmm. It's safe. It's really, it's always, no matter how intense that ride's going to be, it's a safe ride. Mm. So don't know how you can prepare other than do your best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Meditate a little. <laughs> you know, 
So any other criteria in terms of selecting the right facilitator, the right peer group, the right you know, timing perhaps? Because I hear also a lot, you know, I want to do it, but now it's not the right time, right? So what would you say to these considerations? So I, I was just on a call with someone today who was like, I, you know, what are you thinking about when you're going to do medicine next? And the person was like, oh, I'm in a period where I really need to integrate. And so I think that that's a normal thing that happens in a human life. We have periods that are periods where we, we're really, we're, we're feeling stagnant. In that stagnant time, you might really come into a plant medicine ceremony to stir things up and bring them up to the surface. And then there can be times when so much has been stirred up that you know that you need to ground and integrate. And that's, I think, the natural ebb and flow of the human life and the path with these kinds of medicines. And that's different for everybody. Everyone has a different capacity for holding these kinds of medicines, too. For some people, maybe they do it once in a lifetime. For some people, it's once a month. So I think that you have to have that sense of whether you're in the integration phase or you're in the phase where you're stagnant. Mm. so I don't know if that answers the full question, though. Any other, so any considerations about the oh, picking the right facilitators yeah. or the right peer group? Um, well, I think just to be incredibly discerning because the setting can give you a pretty adverse experience. Mm-hmm. So really be super discerning in terms of the setting and make sure that you wait for a setting that's going to feel like home to you. Mm. You know, it should feel like home. The facilitator should feel like home. Mm. Where you're going to do it, that space should feel comfortable and like home to you. Wait for that home feeling. There, I, I in particular am pretty strict about who I will work with. Um, mm. to, I'm almost fanatical about it, I would say, particularly mm. with ayahuasca. Um, I really have a strong faith in lineages with ayahuasca because I think that quite quite a bit of energy can come up for people on an ayahuasca journey, and I would want to know that my facilitator is part of a lineage with tremendous experience because if you're working with it within a lineage where, say, you know, the, the Taita has done a thousand ceremonies, they've seen everything. So he can track energetically whatever's coming up for you. Mm. And um, can I share just one personal story yeah, in that please. regard? Yeah, yeah, so of course. during my marriage, I wasn't doing any plant medicine because it was something that my, my ex-husband didn't agree with. So I didn't do any during that period of time. My first time coming back to it was like two weeks after the divorce was signed. I went to go and work with, with a taita, a very beautiful taita. And, and I... I kind of walked into the ceremony feeling prepared, like, you know, I've, I've done some things, you know, I've done some meditation, some yoga, and I mean, I'm good here, I know what I'm doing, I've done ayahuasca before, and I sat down in the ceremony, and I drank, and I was absolutely floored by the level of energy that came up for me, I was like, whoa, like, it was way more than I thought, I was like, whoa, <laughs> and, uh, I raised my hand in the ceremony. And this is like in the silent part of a ceremony. Uh-huh. I don't know if you, what kind of lineages you work with, but this lineage is like a two-hour silent period where uh-huh. everyone's just basically like chill, yeah. like hanging out, quiet. This is the beginning of the, 40, the first 45 minutes? This is like the first two hours. Yeah, 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 so yeah, like yeah. the silent, silent quiet yeah. part where everyone else is like easy breezy, no, me, I'm raising my hand. I'm <laughs> like, help! <laughs> 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 like the tights that comes over to me and he's like, you know, basically, what's wrong? And uh, I said, "Am I okay?" Uh-huh. He has so much energy, and this is the beauty of all that arrogance I had had coming in there. So the tight to just nailed it. He looked at me, and goes, 
looks me straight in the eye and he's go to your practices. Oh, wow. You know, go to your practices. Like, I mean, weren't you just telling me mm-hmm. earlier how you have all these great meditation practices and all these great yoga practices? So, yeah, the energy's intense. Go to your practices. Ground yourself with your practices. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I felt the medicine say to me, girl, you have no practices. Mm-hmm. You have cute pictures on Instagram doing yoga. You have no practice. You have abandoned your practices. Mm-hmm. And look where you are now. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so then you, that's the importance of working in a lineage because then the Taita brought other healers and shamans to work with me. Mm-hmm. And to heal me, you know, to really help me to process the intensity of that energy mm. until I could hold it on my own. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me the facilitator and the, and the lineage is so important because they have to be able to track that moment where I couldn't possibly integrate the energy. They brought me to the place where I could begin to integrate the energy through their work. Mm-hmm. So they let me scaffold on their mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they left and then I was alone and I said, Okay, show me the way. Where do we start? And the medicine is like, let's start with the breath. Mm. Let's just start with the breath. It's a good mm. place to start for you. And then that whole night, I just had to work with the breath. So this is really important that you, you can't... Like, if I had... Imagine I had been with some, like, novice facilitator in a yoga studio in Manhattan. I mean, I could have really have been dislocated energetically for a really long time, and maybe I wouldn't have gotten that profound lesson, which was... You used to have practices, they're gone, let's start again. (laughs) So I'm very, very cautious and discerning about who I will work with. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, And for everyone listening, please be discerning about whoever facilitator you're working with, of course, because this is um, uh, on par to spiritual surgery. It is, yes, it's a good way of putting Uh, it. Any, so we cover a lot of different realms any specific so for those that are listening right now any actionable things one actionable thing that you believe that they can take on as a way to cultivate their wealth consciousness with wealth consciousness in particular you can leave them with I think that that the first, the first thing is is just to bring into your awareness the the parts that we all hide that we are all ashamed of around money, um, and to begin to ask yourself the question, like, what am I compromising in my life in the name of money? Mm. What compromises am I making? Where where am I selling myself? Where what what carries the energy of the prostitute in some way? Like the energy of the prostitute is a really good way to even frame it. Like in what way do I sell myself for money mm. subtly? Mm. Where am I doing it and why? I and love be, that. Yeah, and be willing to, to confront that. Mm. With that, thank you so much. Thank really you. Really appreciate having you here. Thank you for Amazing. having me.